Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today. As we've been talking about, uh, Super Tuesday is a little over a week away. Many of the presidential candidates are born, barnstorming their way through Utah and uh, the other states as they try to get some traction and momentum. As I mentioned, over the weekend, uh, Tulsi Gabbard came to Utah. She spent a couple of days here in the Beehive State, and I had a chance to sit down with her on Saturday and ask her about her candidacy and what she really hopes to accomplish, win, lose, or draw. It's really, for me, I've served as a soldier now for almost 17 years in the Army National Guard, uh, deployed twice to the Middle East, and throughout uh, that service, serving alongside great patriots, great Americans, all of whom embody these what I call these soldiers' values of, of mm. service above self, of respect and honor and integrity, and this commitment, regardless of our different backgrounds, ideas, perspectives, religions, races, all of these different things that are unfortunately being used now in this country to tear us apart, mm. those of us who wear the uniform experience in the deepest way how we stand united with that mission of service. And that's what I seek to bring to the White House, to bring those principles of service to the American people to the forefront of every decision that's being made rather than what we're seeing too much. And it's frustrating in in the gridlock, the partisanship, the sniping back and forth. It it dishonors the people of this country. Yeah, and you've seen that uh, up close and personal in Washington uh, as a member of Congress for eight years. Uh, you've seen that rough and tumble, but but yet you'd kind of carved out this really strong space in terms of, of military and and intelligence and so on. You had some great committee assignments, and uh, so so why why the run for the presidency? Both our troops and the American people deserve to know that they can have the peace of mind that the decisions our commander in chief makes are based on experience mm-hmm. and background, and exercising foresight in knowing what the cost and consequences of those decisions are, both in lives and in taxpayer dollars, and how while there may be some short-term effects, there are often uh, very long-term effects to those decisions. And that's what's unique for me in this Democratic primary about what I bring 
is that experience. Both combined, I've been a soldier. I deployed twice. My boots have been on the ground, and I've seen firsthand the terribly high human cost of war. Mm. Combined with, uh, this is my eighth year in Congress, as you said, and I've been very focused on national security and foreign policy through those committees I've served on, making it possible for me to walk in on day one and fulfill that role. When I was uh, chief of staff in the Senate, uh, obviously a lot of people would come looking for endorsements and uh, you know all of those fun things that you know about campaigns. And oh, yeah. uh, I always had one kind of defining question as, mm. as the gatekeeper, as the chief of staff. Yeah. Uh, and that was, what is it that's going to make all of this rough and tumble, all of the exasperation of, of campaigns, what's going to make all of that worth it even if you run and lose? Because to me, that's the ultimate test. What is that it, for you? It is. It is the hope and the light and inspiration that exists within all of the people that I've been able to meet, multiple town halls every day, everywhere we go, and that we have people coming together in these rooms, in these halls who represent their Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, mm-hmm. through the span of that hour or two hours that, that, that we're there, walk out feeling empowered because of who we are as Americans mm-hmm. and what's possible when we work side by side, understanding we can accomplish anything. So the change that we need to seek, whether it's very specific on different issues, or to me, it's that broader systemic change that gets beyond partisan politics that just says, hey, our leaders, whether it's at the local, state or federal level, they need to be working for the people, yeah, not for, you know, powerful special interests or fancy lobbyists or whatever the case may be. It's it's your responsibility to serve. And, and that's where I see hope. That's where I see change is possible. Uh, no matter what happens with this election, we as a country need to continue to build off of this. You know, I mean, the, the famous quote, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Mm. We are terribly divided. And we, the people, have, in my opinion, a responsibility motivated by that love of country and for each right. other to... Uh, play our active role in healing those divides. Uh, you've had a, a diverse background, uh, both in terms of ethnicity, yeah. uh, but also in terms of your religious background, which was really interesting to me. Tell me how all of those things, your heritage and your religious traditions, uh, have impacted and shaped who you are as a leader. Sure. Uh, so my mother grew up uh, in a Lutheran family. My father grew up uh, in a Catholic family Uh, as a teenager. He went to seminary. He had an idea that he would go and become a priest. Uh, That didn't last long. He kind of decided he liked girls maybe a little (laughs) bit more than uh, (laughs) would have been allowed. (laughs) So mom and dad met at uh, summer jobs at Yosemite while they were both in college. Dad asked mom out. She said, sure. Do you play tennis? He said, yeah. He didn't. Didn't. <laughs> so they went out. Their first date was on a tennis court. She beat him wow. six love, six love. and uh, Even better. Long story short, he went on to become a tennis pro just really? because. My parents are very competitive. Com- they've, competition. They've been married now. Uh, December made 51 years for them. Wow. I'm just grateful to come from that really strong family foundation. Uh, my mom, she later discovered she wanted to develop a closer relationship with God and was searching for a long time to see um, how she could do that, how she could get some of these questions answered that, um, that her church hadn't been able to Mm -hmm. provide for her. And so she found different practices of meditation and yoga and a lot of answers in scriptures like the Bhagavad Gita and uh, practicing Hinduism. So dad, we grew up in our house uh, hearing bedtime stories, five kids in our family, 
coming from both the New Testament stories about, you know, Jesus Christ and, and all of the amazing things that he did during the time that he was here, as well as stories about Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita mm. and not ever feeling at any time in our childhood or our lives that, well, you had to choose. You're either going to do yeah. what mom does or do what dad does. But instead, both my parents really instilling in all of us the most important um, the most important thing, which is, you know, real religion is about love for God yeah. and really taking to heart Jesus Christ's first commandment and second commandment. Yeah. And that uh, I, I'm forever grateful because that uh, attempt in my own small way in my life to, to love God and what better way to be pleasing to God than to take care of all of God's children. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what motivates me in everything that I do. Yeah, I, I think your town halls have been uh, more diverse than any of the other uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, again, across the religious spectrum, across the cultural perspective, across the financial and economic perspectives. Uh, and to me, I think that's it's something we've lost in our politics is we, we've sort of gotten into this, you know, oneness is sameness. Exactly. Uh, but that's not that's not what America is about. It's not oneness is sameness. It's, it's our diversity that gives us that strength. And and not to be afraid of it. Yeah. You know, and in, in this cancel culture that we live in. Uh, if if someone says something that offends you, whether it's on Twitter or person to person, it's like, no, you're canceled. You're gone. Right. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln, actually, on President's Day. Uh, it speaks to this cancel culture that we're dealing with today, where he said, I don't like that man. I need to know him better. Mm, love that. That, Love that. that captures the whole thing. Yeah. Where whether you're Democrats, Republicans, whether you voted for Trump or Hillary or Bernie, or you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, yeah. all of these things that really are driving wedges between us, you know, let's just talk and listen, treat each other with respect, get to know each other a little better. Yeah. And we're not all going to agree on everything, nor should we. Right. <laughs> there is strength in that is where I know we must go as a country. Uh, Washington is way out of touch with the reality of of the everyday lives of the American people. So that means it's on us. Yeah, and I want to drill down on that. I I, I love the way you frame that, and I think it's one of the real challenges and one of the tragedies, I think, of our current system in terms of the way the primaries tend to roll and where the money flows because you really don't get those opportunities to – to, to get that momentum, it's the status quo and what is safe. And uh, I always I always said that the problem in Washington wasn't conflict; it was collusion. <laughs> you know, you can't. That get, is a very good point. <laughs> you can't get twenty three trillion dollars in debt through conflict. Uh, you can ask my wife. You know, it just <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But That's the collusion problem, and I think both parties, both yeah. the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, uh, sort of collude when it comes to protecting. Mm-hmm. You know, ninety four percent of incumbents get reelected every mm-hmm. year. Uh, how do we combat that kind of stuff? And and how frustrating has that been for you as a candidate for the presidency to to have some magical moments early on in some of those debate stages and then see those rules continuing to get tweaked and twisted as you went along yeah well it's you know those those magical moments were based on taking advantage of that opportunity to speak the truth yeah. not just to do some pre-rehearsed silly soundbite right or create some dramatic moment so it could, quote-unquote, go viral. Go viral, yep. <laughs> but actually to take that opportunity to speak the truth to yeah. voters in this country so they could make a best-informed decision before they go and start casting their votes. Yeah. And you'll see how this actually began uh, the very first day I announced my candidacy mm-hmm. because 
I have a little bit of a history in Congress of not being afraid to speak the truth. Yeah. And you, you t- your, your word collusion is actually really appropriate, uh, whether it's across party lines, you're mm-hmm. talking about the debt and the deficit, but it's also collusion with the media, the, the big corporate media who are controlling what information right. people are seeing or not seeing. And that's what we saw is, is um, you know, I, I have not been afraid to call out leaders in my own party or even mm-hmm. President Obama when he was there. And I disagreed with actions that he took, just as I'm not afraid to right. do so with the Republican Party and President Trump, focusing on the substance. Mm-hmm. Um I announced my candidacy a little over a year ago, and the very day I was giving my speech saying why I'm running for president, NBC News started the first smear article that only continued to mm-hmm. uh, to escalate from there. So it, it is absolutely frustrating for me because um, it's, it's difficult to be able to get my message out to voters. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing is that the more I'm able to do so, yeah. and I'm grateful for this opportunity, the more support that we get from people across party lines who understand why it's important that uh, we stand up, that we vote, that we hold leaders accountable, and then we make sure that they are actually delivering for the American people rather than just focusing on either how do you keep power or how do you take it back. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the agenda, the decisions are made uh, in Washington is centered around that. Uh, so I am, I'm about to turn 39. I'm right on the cusp of, of still being a millennial. <laughs> so when I look at the road ahead, God willing, uh, I will have many opportunities to serve. Uh, I'm running for president to be able to bring about this, this change in our leadership to reinstill these values of respect and honor and service and integrity and looking beyond, uh, I don't have the whole thing worked out, uh, but <laughs> What I do know for certain is that as I have before, I will continue to try to find ways that I can uh, make that best positive impact and be of service to God and to our country. Uh, What do you hope people do different, think different, become different uh, as a result of listening to your message? Uh, Yes, there is so much that we need to fix in Washington through this electoral system and through the political system, but it's important that we go deeper and we think about in our own circles, in our own spheres of influence, how we can ourselves be that change in healing the wounds and uh, having that positive impact. That, that if every one of us did that consciously every single day, imagine the impact we could have in the country and the world. Yeah. That's uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, uh, candidate for president, barnstorming Utah with uh, a host of others as we march towards Super Tuesday. We'll continue to follow that wall to wall here on KSL News Radio. Uh, currently going on at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, a tribute to one of the great basketball players of all time, Kobe Bryant, and his daughter uh, tragically killed in uh, the helicopter crash a few weeks ago. When we come back, we're going to talk about a groundbreaking basketball player, first non white player in professional basketball who was right here from Utah, from Ogden. Stay with us. Find out who it is and what the legacy is uh, right here on KSL.